0: Okay, this week I'm with Tom. How's it going, Tom? Yeah, good, thanks. A little bit frustrated after that, but pretty good. How about you? Yes, very good, thank you. All good here in not-so-sunny Seattle, (laughs) which is very much like its reputation. Rains solidly from October to about June, which at this time of year starts to grate a little bit.
1: Mm, Well, we've just had snow, so...
0: Yes, it's true. In March. Yeah, I saw Mm. the pictures from back home. And, uh, well, I, I was going to try and make some smooth segue then into United versus Southampton, but I haven't got one. So I, I'm not the pro. <laughs> <laughs> still, still hamming <laughs> it up Ga- after 620 odd episodes.
1: You so. know Gary Lineker.
0: I am. I'm no Gary Lineker. We you could
1: not have replaced him yesterday.
0: No, I, I did briefly offer. Then I thought, no, I actually don't want to be the strike-breaking scab. So no. I turned the bead down, yeah. even though it did, didn't approach me, which was disgraceful. Honestly. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to Gary Lineker. We, we decided we'll do that as the bonus content this week for backers, but we'll leave it open for everyone because obviously it's an important and nuanced conversation. I've been kind of reluctant to engage on Twitter with that until I'd had the chance to talk to a few people and understand the different perspectives. So we'll get to that a bit later. First, I guess, is United versus Southampton. Frustrating. Frustrating. Mm-hmm. and uh, Very frustrating because the punishment for Casemiro is an extra four-game ban, plus this half-game in a bit. And he got three-and-a-half-game ban for the last one, which is basically eight mm-hmm. games for... Mm-hmm. Not a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. No. I mean, this one was more of a red card than the last yeah. one. For sure, I think he just got really unlucky because the way that he got the ball made the tackle look worse. Because it, because his foot just went higher and then onto his shin, like yeah, it bounced off of the did ball, it,
0: didn't it? Basically,
1: yeah. And it, and it's, when you're looking at that in slow motion, it's like <laughs> you can. It's obviously he's going to give a red card, but it's just really unlucky. I guess it is a little bit silly from Casemiro to be making that challenge, though. Like to be going in in that part of the pitch, he, he, yeah, that part of the pitch that high. Like he he was off the ground. It's just you expect better from him, really. And in in a game like this, it doesn't. In the first half, it doesn't even matter. I mean, not that there was that much likelihood that they were going to score a goal anyway at that point. But like, even if you concede at that moment in time, it's not that much of an issue. Like you don't don't need to make that challenge. True really with a with about 30 minutes gone against Southampton you go one nil down and you still back us to win but losing their man
0: well it's much worse it's just... than going one nil down isn't it because of the uh... the time and the length, of, the length and the of man the who it is as
1: well yeah, yeah exactly I,
0: I mean I think he is unlucky in that he's gone he's clearly gone for the ball and it's mm-hmm. his foot has basically bounced off the ball onto the shin I mean the rule the rule says nothing about getting the ball obviously you can take that out play that doesn't that doesn't matter. It's, is, is it endangering the opponent and is it dangerous or reckless? And the the, the guidance talks about control. And so you can go, okay, dangerous because it's gone studs onto the shin. And is he in control? Probably not. And I, I, I think in the, you take the sort of emotion out of it, you probably say that's a, a pretty standard red. I mean, it's marginal, but probably erring on that side. You can see why that's called. The, the frustration is two things. That's not always called in the Premier League, for sure. That no. doesn't always go to VAR, and often it's just given just as a yellow because the referee will say, oh, ball, then man, mm-hmm. okay. And I think it's absolutely 100% true that that is inconsistently called, that that one. And then the second is VAR, which basically just slows it down to a, a frame. and And yeah. people on Twitter do that, including... A whole bunch of people who should know better, who are in the media, who know they're mm-hmm. making a bad faith argument when they do this, just show the freeze frame and go, obviously, because you need the whole picture and context. And and yeah, just to exactly. contrast that with, sorry, I know I'm babbling on, <laughs> just contrast that with the the tackle by Walker Peters on Garnacho mm. later in the game. And yeah. there's a few others as well, by the way, because he does it on Bruno like uh, two seconds later where he's got the ball and gone through the man with the scissor tackle. And that's okay because the ref's saying, well, he's got the ball. Well, clearly not in control. Clearly, it's endangering his opponent. It's in the penalty area. And just the inconsistency between those is deeply frustrating.
1: Anyway, I'll stop talking. Yeah, those ones never get called. But they're ankle wreckers. I thought he'd broken his ankle at first. The the pain he was in. And clearly, there's an injury there because he had to come off it about five minutes later like those ones never ever get called but then of the one on casemiro like like you say i I saw it in whatsapp groups people sharing it around like oh this is a horrible challenge it's like no that freeze frame makes it look horrendous like the Sabitzer one about three weeks ago where graham soonest at halftime was like apoplectic that it wasn't a red card when he barely touched him but you you have the freeze frame and it looks so much worse like you say fod. Far has oh, never done this since it came into into play. They've never actually looked at the the challenge in in full force, right? Real, they always real time slow it down.
0: i just trying to understand the full context of everything, and yeah, I, I don't know,
1: know why that. Like it's 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 an obvious thing. You should look at the the game in its full co- in its proper context, rather than just looking at it in yeah in in super slow motion. But they always look at it in super slow motion, I, right? Bizarre.
0: I guess to to speed it up just to show. So speed the whole process up just so they show the, the specific incident. But without the context, I don't think the referee's got full information. Maybe they're saying, well, no. the referee saw it in full time, has to make the decision on most of the game in full full speed, real time, full speed. And so they walk, they're just adding information. But it feels like it, it adds out of context information, which is not good information. Yeah. I mean yeah. that, that one on Garnacho you're totally right I mean he he clearly was injured he tried to get back up to speed he he clearly wasn't right and, and they are ankle wreckers and it's a scissor kick and it's dangerous and he wasn't in control of it and it is never given and mm-hmm. no. it's just yeah that's deeply frustrating and and there was there was a point where Anthony Taylor had given like 10 in a row, what felt like 10 in a row to Southampton and it just felt all yeah. inconsistent. And Bruno, you know, he was right on the edge, wasn't he? But I think with the fans, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and, and there was that handball in the first half as well. Yeah. Which like I don't we, know how that is in handball.
0: Well, it's not a natural position having your arm on the pitch, is it? And it's about fifteen no. yards away from him, so
1: Yeah. Anyway. And the ball goes straight to Veghorse behind him as well. It is. And he's just blocked it with his hand, which is not in a natural yeah. position. No. And he moves his hand as well, actually. Like just before it gets to him.
0: Yeah, it's all very frustrating. And and I mean the actual game itself, apart from that, was incredibly open. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> was I can't mad. remember how many shots it's thirty odd shots in the game, isn't it? It's a lot.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Which like there can't be too many games like that, which and they weren't even just like pot shots as well, like they hit the Bar with the Ward-Prowse effort yeah. they had the pose with Walker-Peters we hit the post We had they had one cleared off the line when McTominay tried to put one in after, about five minutes after he came on and lent like the Theo Walcott two chances that they Jesus have ignore name all their chances here but they had a lot of chances and obviously we did as well like Veghorst with that big chance and Rashford as well where he kind of he maybe could have played Veghorst in, in the first half that, it, it felt in that first half that, that we would we were fully in control here. Like we didn't start that well. It is a bit like the start against Leicester where they had a couple of early chances, but I, I always kind of felt, yeah, we'll kick into gear here and win it. But then that red card obviously just completely changes the game. And it's interesting as well because just after the red cards, when we, when Bruno was kind of playing in the in center yeah. of the field on his yeah. own, he did, yeah, and he didn't make the change immediately, which you imagine he would, we had like ninety five percent of the ball at that point, point. Yeah, and we they the kept attacking really well, and yeah. attacking. Yeah. And then, and then obviously after that, yeah, when the McTominay thing came on, which is, I think, is probably the right, well, I would say, is the right move. Obviously, seeded possession, and and we went in and sat in and tried to attack, what well, tried to defend and counterattack, which just, I mean, it's hard to say it didn't work because we had ten men, but we it, it didn't really work they look They looked the more likely, but obviously we had eleven men, but then, if you think to Southampton actually lost a game with ten men about three or four weeks ago <laughs> right. when Nathan Jones said it Nathan Nathan Jones said it's harder to play with against ten men than it is eleven which I mean it's a shame that he got Jones said
0: amongst many dumb, dumb things, Nathan Jones Nathan said, dumb. yeah, it is not <laughs> I mean what he's I guess trying to say is that the game state changes in which you, you typically have the team with 10 men going pretty defensive. United didn't do that. were very open. Could If if Southampton had had a better forward than Theo Walcott, then uh, we'd have been in real trouble because those several breaks and just they cut through United so easily. United were way too open. I was surprised it took Ten Hag so long because it's, it's, you know, it, clearly he's going to look at the game state, see what is happening, and then make the change. But he left it 10 minutes, more than 10 minutes. And I don't think you need more than 10 minutes to realize that Bruno is not going to be disciplined enough in a, at a number six position to do that job. It's not even whether he can do it. He's just not disciplined. He's just continued no. wandering upfield. So it's not
1: Bruno played that whole, that kind of that played, played that same position throughout the whole of the second half as well. Like, I don't really know why, why you kept him in the centre midfield. Like, I would have just brought Fred on. And yeah. because, like, Bruno's game management at times is just terrible. Like, the oh, decisions all chaos. he makes. Yeah. And, and, like, that one way he brought the ball across his, like, across himself on the edge of the area, took a bad touch and then fouled the guy. And then it's just, like, setting up James Wall prowse with a free kick right on the edge of the box. Like, it's those kind of things. Like, I mean, in a game like this, when you've got 10 men, I'd just get Bruno as far away, as near to their goal as possible because that's yeah. just where he's best. I can understand from the start of what you're trying to do with playing Bruno in that position. You think you're gonna have a lot of the ball and you have more attacking players on the pitch or whatever. But throughout that game, like it just it was so frustrating watching Bruno because he gave the ball away so often and also, like you say, he's so ill disciplined defensively. It's like he is a very, very frustrating player. Not as frustrating as he was last week, but it's just it's kind of, <laughs> it's just his game it's just his game management is just is poor
0: ten Hag praised him after the Betis game saying how much control and discipline he had which are the things he doesn't normally had have. have today 68 percent success rate with his passing i mean look i i he's always been this i remember when he signed yeah. and paul and i were talking about it and he was Paul was super excited and i was like yeah yes i think let's just watch him in these big games because i think we're going to get frustrated with how much he gives mm-hmm. away to paul and and that was a concern before he signed from United scouts who delayed and delayed. And he's like a special, there's there's almost no player on the planet like him. Like he's special teams chaos merchant and, <laughs> and, most, and it's great, right? The numbers he puts up, goal in every three, assist in every two or something like that. He's really, really great data, creates tons and tons and tons of chances in a United side that's all right, but isn't fully matured yet. Mm-hmm. And and so having those numbers is is great, but you just got to use him, use him in the right way. And and Ten Hag today tried playing Sancho at ten, Bruno at eight, basically, and he's trying to find the right balance between all this because he, he wants, um, to get, I think, he wants to get Sancho into the team, but yeah, it, it's hard to have Sancho and Anthony wide, even yeah. if you're playing Rashford, because you lose pace on the wings. So it all looks a bit similar. Sancho is basically a wide ten, so he's trying, he's basically. Assume that he's really a 10-10. Mm-hmm. And I like Sancho in that position. I like him probably I like him more than wide because he obviously has no pace and that is a problem. But yeah, it's, there's you can see what Ten Hag's doing. He's shuffling around the pack to try and find what is the optimal combination, knowing that yeah. he basically doesn't have a perfect 11 at the moment. It's mm-hmm. closer if Anthony Martial is fit, but he's never fit.
1: So it's, yeah. I think I yeah, United ha- United bring Aussie men in, and then the the whole dynamic changes next season because he brings you everything almost, and he brings you that pace in behind, which yeah, is gonna it will will be vital, and and it means like that. Well, it'll be Rashford on the left, Aussie men on the through the middle, and then you can play Bruno, I guess, behind, and then Anthony on the right or Sancho on the right. But right now, you are having to kind of put. Yeah, square pegs in round holes, which I think Sancho is at the moment. I I, I don't disagree that Sancho has the technical attributes to play in that role. It's just tactically at the moment, it it just doesn't seem to be... Well, it's, it's difficult to say because like, there wasn't long enough for him to actually get a good go at today. And, and he's only had a couple of other chances playing in that position. I think one of them was against Barcelona, wasn't it? Did he play in that role against Barcelona? Was it was one game where we it was a big game. I can't remember who it was. Yeah,
0: I don't think it was Barcelona, uh, but yes, he's. Uh, I forget. I forget.
1: Yeah. Mm. I, my my fear with him is that, like I say, from a tactical perspective, I don't know if he knows how to play that role yet because he's barely played it in his career. But despite having the attributes, and it's, it's his play on the half turn, which he's not great at. He's great when he's facing the facing forward because we know he can pick out passes. So he's got that intelligence and composure to do it and ability it's kind of just getting yeah when he's facing his own goal turning and, and getting on the turn like I say on the half turn which Bruno's amazing at and and and, yeah I think hopefully Sancho can develop into that but like it's just right now it. it I think it does look a little bit awkward but then like you say then Bruno, Bruno having to there's no kind of where is Bruno supposed to be playing at the moment? It's like right. hard to fit him into the team. And, and like you say, he is such a chaotic, chaotic man. I, I feel like I'm being a bit this, this, yeah, a bit of here, which is, just, I guess, a bit unfair because we had 10 men for 60 minutes of the game. But yeah, it's the balance is just a bit weird with, with what we've got right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I think nothing that's fair. And Ten Hogs trying to find the right balance with all these talented players at uh, Dortmund. I feel Sancho played much closer to whoever was up front, Harland. Did he play with Harland? I'm trying to remember yeah. the time. Yeah, he did for a season, didn't he? And and, and I, I feel like he was more of an inside forward. And they didn't, it's not, it, I'm Dorman played with the high press and very much looked for tra- transitional moments. And he was very successful there, both in terms of assists and, and scoring. He scored a lot of goals. Sancho, and it's almost like they used him as that utility inside forward, played off the right and the left. His mm-hmm. numbers are actually better off the left than the right, for kind of understandable reasons, I think. And United haven't quite find found the right balance. I think it's very easy, especially on social media, to go, "Oh, he's rubbish. He hasn't given us anything." He does. He gives United a lot, but I don't think they've quite found like where he should play versus where Bruno should play. Don't have a forward for him to play off. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. because you can't, you can't play balls through the big horse. He's not going to no. run onto anything.
1: His first touches so. are very good, either.
0: Of course, Well,
1: that's the weird thing about Sancho and, and Bruno, though. Like they're two completely disparate footballers. Like one's a, a chaos merchant who gives the ball away so much of the time, and then Sancho's a neat little. Knitter of the ball, he knits play together. And when you're playing with, I guess Marco Royce, Dortmund, yeah. another player who's so great at knitting the game together, then those two can feed off it. Judy and Brandt, similar type yeah, of player, yeah, yeah. they they can knit the game together, and and it makes Sancho look look a better footballer because he plays it into someone, and they play it straight back to him. Whereas United, like it's, it's always as soon as Sancho signed, we always thought that this this doesn't really fit. I don't think like he was going. He was a system player coming into a chaotic side. And it's still a little bit like that. Anthony's quite a a, a I would say very chaotic footballer, obviously. For, Bruno's a chaotic footballer. I think Rashford's got a lot of chaos about him. I don't think he's the cleanest. I don't think he knits play together that great. Mm. And then Sancho kind of comes in, it's like, yeah, go and knit the game together. And but when you're not getting one twos and you can't you don't have that like around you, that that system. It does just look a little bit awkward, and maybe when we have a proper striker, an actual real striker, then maybe that will look better, like you say. But where, where you've got kind of veg course, you don't know where the ball's going to bounce, like bounce off him. It's a bit like Heskey, isn't he?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. He's not as mobile as Heskey. No, it, it, not not anywhere near it. I mean, hag has persisted with it, so he's going to keep doing this. He clearly wants a pivot up there as 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 a number nine to play off and around feels that's a better balance than Rashford through the middle because he's got more options in wide areas than he has through the middle and he persists with doing it. So it's, it's clearly a systems thing with Ten Hag. He thinks the team as a whole is better with Weghorst in there. And to be fair, we've scored quite a lot of goals with mm-hmm. Weghorst in there. It's just not Weghorst scoring the goals. Two in 14 or whatever it is right now. So, yes, I mean, there was talk during the week about Harry Kane again. I mean, I look at Kane and and I have conflicting thoughts. One. Absolutely perfect player for Ten Hag. Just perfect. Mm. Can play nine, ten, nine and a half. And you can play around him. He also, he's he's never had pace, so I don't think he's... There was a worry for a while that his shot volume was dropping off, and I think that was more about Tottenham than him. And so worried that he would stop scoring goals at some point. But I, d- I don't know. I think more like more like Teddy Sheringham, I, I think he'll be able to go on for quite a while and still score goals. For a long time, his, his shot quality is just as good as anything on the planet anyone on the and he takes it very early so I, he would be a perfect player The concern is his age for the mm-hmm. even if he's heading into the final 12 months of his contract which he will be this summer we're talking what 60 70 80 90 million whatever a huge fee mm-hmm. that Tottenham will try and demand for a player who's 30 so
1: yeah it, 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 it,
0: Oshman's just obviously much much younger and much more dynamic
1: it's interesting with Kane as well, though, isn't it? Because you look at someone like Benzema, who's five years older than him, who's still obviously doing it at the top level. And you think, I think, I think, I think it's unarguable that Benzema's a better footballer, but like Kane has like it, the similar qualities, I think, but he's actually better at knitting the game together, I would say, and also building from deep. And also, he's got that ability to shoot from range, which, which Benzema, I don't think, has. I think. Benzema has more class about him and and, and game intelligence but like yeah you look at Benzema still doing it at the highest level with 35 you think if United can get five years out of Harry Kane for 80 million or whatever you'd 100% take it if he's going to perform at the same levels but then you say look at his injury record had a lot of ankle injuries how's that going to affect him going forward there's not he doesn't have that many seasons where he plays every single game. I mean, if this even happened, he usually misses about ten or fifteen games a season. I'd say, so it's it's just a huge risk. Whereas Ozilmen, it's obviously a risk because he's coming from Serie A, which is a crap league. Let's put it put it right. But he he isn't a crap footballer, and and I think we'll see in the Champions League how good Napoli actually are. Yeah. But, and also, you you get potentially like 10 years out of him and he just he ha- he has everything which I think United need right now but then like you say so does Kane and also Kane's doing it in the Prem blah 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 blah, blah.
0: yeah yeah yeah. much much lower risk Kane immediately and and you just like your squad management as well so United have a few older players um, yes Ferran Casemiro, De Gea if Kane came in the whole spine would be older Harry Maguire, whether that's Harry Maguire, <laughs> well, yeah, I think he, I think he might be gone. Maybe we can do a swap <laughs> with Spurs. He he's he's wonderful. Daniel Levy, Harry Maguire is the best player you've ever seen. Yeah. Mm. So see. yeah, it's squad squad management is important thing. United have done that very poorly over the years. So buying, selling, squad management. they you want to have the right balance. So the average age is 26, 27, something like that. And a balance of experience and youth. And you just wonder if the whole of the spine of the team is aging, whether that might be a problem there. Well, <laughs> it would be because you end up having to replace them all at the same time. So,
1: yeah. yeah. And yeah. you look at Ericsson as well. Another one and Ericsson. Like...
0: Ten Hag said this week that Ericsson would play before the end of the season. It's great news. I mean, talking about inconsistencies, Andy Carroll didn't even get a yellow card for that one. Was it it even called as a foul? I don't know. It actually clattered him.
1: Yeah. I can't remember. There were three horrendous challenges on there. And then obviously Ericsson one didn't even get a yellow card.
0: Yeah. I I think we'll find out. Complete conspiracy theory that at some point after that City game, after that Rashford goal, that some note went around. Not that they're saying give everything against United, (laughs) but, but the media scrutiny and spotlight, it will have been noted.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: and and even even if that is not the case then it, it's just it's just impacting it's just impacting referees so they just cont- because like that was on the back pages for four days
1: mm-hmm. I took
0: up much more news coverage than Gary Lineker that did Marcus Rashford <laughs> crime against humanity that it was
1: and, and it and you look at it now you look at us for the next four games it's gonna be really really tough I mean at least it keeps Casemiro sprightly for the Europa League I guess but we are kind of <laughs> through yeah, in that already but saving for the Europa yeah it's like it's like what we were doing before when he got suspended which was like
0: what it's so many Back games he'll have missed and it's just he's got so he's going to Casemiro is going to miss the cup game versus full and then the league games versus Everton Newcastle and Brentford that's mm. not in the right order I don't think but uh... Newcastle
1: and Brentford's tough as well yeah it's Newcastle so... away as yeah. well it's...
0: The other three are at home, so I guess it could have been worse because it could have been City, Arsenal, Liverpool and Spurs away or something, but, but it's not. Even so, Brentford, transitional team, very strong in the transitions. That is a risk, I think, with no pivot there. And obviously Newcastle away, we saw what happened in the cup final. I I, I, I That's not how Newcastle or United play in every game. Mm. That was a very specific tactical approach, I thought, in that cup final. But without Casemiro, I mean, I guess he'll go for a double pivot of Fred and McTominay. I imagine wow, it's back. Be a bit more... it's back. It's back. Yeah, yeah, I know. Anyway, <laughs> that, that's not... Next game's Betis, isn't it? And then yeah. and then it's... Is it Betis, Fulham? Fulham on Brentford Sunday, yeah. Is it Newcastle, Brentford, Newcastle, Everton? I can't remember. Yeah,
1: something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not what we need. It's not what we need at this stage. Uh, I think, like, Today, going into the game, I was kind of thinking we win today. and I mean, I wasn't even concerned about even winning, to be honest. But then also, like, top four kind of seems like it's, it's there now. But then you think, if we don't pick up that many points over the next four games without Casemiro, then you can pull back into that fire all of a sudden.
0: Could do, yeah. I mean, only two points ahead of Spurs after this weekend, game in hand. Uh, but Liverpool also have that game in hand over Spurs, so... I mean, we're eight points ahead of Liverpool, basically, if you're looking at top four with 12 games to go. Sh- should be enough. Yeah. But yes, if United lose one in the next four, draw two others, and Liverpool go on a run, which there's no guarantee about that. But yeah, I give mean, me how bad they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then yes,
1: United could be drawn into that when it should be comfortable. It, it should be as well. Like that, I think I'm being very pessimistic there because like Tottenham are bad most of the time, Liverpool are bad most of the time, Newcastle can't score goals. We we should be completely fine, but there is that. It, it's the years of negativity have just made me such a pessimistic man when it comes to United. <laughs> so like, I, um, it's,
0: it's hard not to be, isn't it? You're, yeah, it's like being to... an England cricket fan, you just assume that uh, mm-hmm. it's all doom and gloom. Even yeah. even if they win eleven games in a row or whatever,
1: it's, <laughs> yeah, that's...
0: it's it's ingrained in the DNA that you have to worry about it.
1: It is, yeah. Hopefully that's.
0: Awesome. I mean, I, I, like from here, I'd still I I don't know what the models say. I, I imagine the five sixty five thirty eight model is giving United more than sixty percent chance of making the Champions League, probably even yeah. bigger than that. Yeah, I'd say imagine so. from this position. And I think that's fair. United should do. Casemiro is a is a huge blow, and, and it just kind of. It says, especially with him getting on a little bit and injuries may creep in more, although he's been pretty injury free in his career, that, that we should be grooming an understudy. And neither Fred nor McTominay are that understudy, nice. uh, which is kind of not surprising. They've been linked with LaVieira at, at Southampton because he is, oh, we he look is good not, today, kind nice in that position. Yeah. He
1: yeah. looked good. Yeah. Yeah. 19 so, as well, isn't he?
0: Yeah, exactly. A kind of younger version would be very good in terms of the squad balance. Mm-hmm. So, It's the other thing I, I, I thought about Casemiro as well. And we we talked about it earlier in the season, how aggressive he is. And I, I think he's, feel he's much more aggressive. I, mean, I feel like he's a completely different player than he was at Real Madrid because he's not playing with Kroos and Modric and, he's, and he has to cover a lot of ground. And when he's in the single pivot, he has to cover a lot. And even when he's not, when it's a double with, say, Fred or McTominay, or more often Fred, isn't it? then he's still very aggressive and it feels like there's, there's more than he was in the past. And I just wonder whether he's just kind of compensating for a little change in his physicality. I think in that last season at Madrid, he started looking a bit slower than he was.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: again, I wasn't really sure about that because he's playing with old players as well. And I don't know whether they just all looked old. Brilliant on the ball, but all old.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but I just wonder, I wonder, It's
1: con- it's kind of
0: it has led to quite a lot of yellow cards, hasn't it? Yeah. And two reds now.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first red, obviously, is, is hard to, well, hard to blame him for, but then the second red, which he'd never been sent off before in, until yeah. this this season, which, and like you say, it might be a bit unlucky to have got a red today, but the, the yellows have been totting up a lot and like, like that one against Palace just felt so, so annoying and I guess needless as well, but yeah he is he is like a completely different player it's, its very weird to watch
0: no question about that it's supported by you our listeners through patreon.com forward slash nqat pod where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the premier league and europe betis on thursday i, I was really impressed with the night's performance at home
1: mm-hmm. i
0: thought the intensity was really you really felt the intensity it actually and i wondered whether it had an impact today in the first half hour yeah it was so intense against betis they just looked a bit labored didn't they yeah it was the perfect
1: and, response like uh, i think ten hogg said after the game like we can after the seven nil we can use this moment to make us stronger and i think it's a bit like having the attitudes in in life really like if if something bad happens to you like you you can learn from that mistake and actually grow as a person and i felt like that that sunday could have been exactly that perspective and and can be that perspective uh, where like something dreadful happens but it it makes you a stronger person. It makes you a stronger team and stronger collective When we can make, hopefully look back in, in that in a year. And, and that's what it is. It's just a blip and it's just a, a horrible moment. And we, we became so much stronger. And I think on Thursday, that was exactly what the United team almost like saw it as, as, as a Sunday coming out and just blasting away a decent side, the side that obviously drew to Real Madrid at the week, the weekend before it was perfect. And, and, it would have been great if we could have just kept that momentum up today. We obviously didn't, but I don't think we should be too dispirited about it. And I'm sure on, on Thursday we'll go there and just get the job done.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it'd be absolutely shocking if Betty's turned it around. I mean, there's going to be a great crowd. It's 60,000, be a full house, I imagine. I, I did wonder whether, I mean, you know, this there's this thing in Spain where fans just don't turn up. For games that don't matter, it's very odd. But I, I imagine there'll be a big crowd that'll be urging their team on. United will just try and kill that by being super professional. Obviously, Casemiro is not suspended for that one. And so it would be interesting to see what balance he, he... I imagine Fred will come into the side <laughs> <laughs> just for uh, a bit of extra protection and they'll they'll try and kill any momentum early on.
1: Yeah, I mean... And, I, and, I, I don't think they've got it in them either to score that many goals. Like, that. They're not a, a free scoring team, and like Boyer Iglesias has been good. Obviously, didn't even start on Thursday, but like Ayose Perez, Joaquin, like it's Sergio Canales, obviously coming back from injury. But there's not that much to fear, is there? Really?
0: No, and and they haven't scored loads and loads of goals in La Liga either. I mean, just just the thirty-two mm-hmm. in twenty-four games in La Liga, they are. Outscoring Villarreal, who they played today. Most teams outscore Villarreal. Mm. They're they're a good team, but they're not a great team. And and I don't think they're good enough to put three past United. And and United in transitional moments, pretty good. Mm -hmm. You expect United to score. So that means Villarreal has got to get at least four. It seems very, very, very deeply unlikely. But I still expect Ten Hag will put quite a strong side out just to make sure there isn't a kind of weird collapse.
1: He plays a strong team against every single side. Yeah,
0: that's me? true. And and we're seeing the impact of that because there's been a few mm. games recently
1: where United have looked kind of leggy. Yeah. I mean, uh, I love what Ten Hag's brought, but like there there is frustration in me that he just seems to play the best or the same team every single week. Like, I mean, I, I saw someone tweet like Ten Hag just thinks tiredness is like a, a mental weakness. It isn't actually believing it. But like, yeah. <laughs> Like it almost seems that that's like actually the case. Yeah. Like well, he doesn't. He doesn't trust. He doesn't trust McTominay.
0: And it, clearly, and that's fair he enough, obviously. Him, and he doesn't trust Harry Maguire, which is no. fair enough.
1: Yeah. yeah. And he so, obviously doesn't trust the, the two youngsters, which again is fair enough. Like, well, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, like Garnacho and Pellestri, like they're fine yeah. at, in moments, and like especially Garnacho's ceiling is enormous. But yeah, they are. They can't really trust them right now.
0: No, that's right. And, and Garnacho's you're right. The ceiling is high. The consistency is not there yet. We expect, I expect it to come. Pelletri interesting because he could have gone out on loan again. He'd been pushing apparently because he wants game time. Totally understandable. Careers stall by not playing. But he's played off the bench quite a few times recently. And I, I he's very, very direct. Mm. Didn't really get into today's game. But I did against Betis, create one of the goals. So he's, he's, he's definitely
1: an option. He clearly trusts him more than a Langer who yeah, yeah. who've basically Just, not seen at all. It's gone, hasn't he? yeah. Palestry is an interesting one. I don't think he's the quickest in the world, but like he's an intelligent, he's a very intelligent dribbler. I think he's a little bit lightweight. You get pushed off the ball a little bit too easily. But I think I think if he bulks up a little bit and gets a little bit more strength, I, I think he could be a really good player. It's finding that strength while you're at United. Like, I don't know if that's going to happen. Whereas at the moment, he's kind of not having that strength and not being quick kind of means that he's kind of not great. And he also doesn't get on the ball enough. Like, Garnaccio is always kind of there asking for the ball. And I don't, I think Pelesti almost hides a little bit. But then you see what he did against Betty's, and it's like, yeah, you have really got something here. It's just, I don't it's going to be really tough with him. Like what do you do? Send him out on loan again and then see how he does. And then if he does okay and then bring it back, but then he's what he's 22 already, isn't he? So like time's ticking.
0: Yeah. And he said there's two spells at Alaves, which were mixed because he's super young and that's okay. But having, having another season like next season, so they'll, they'll make a call in the summer, but he will think like, what are my chances of really breaking into this side and getting in ahead of Anthony? Who's a, a uh, very interesting player, but one that Ten Hag clearly trusts, or Sancho, or, or Alanga, he, he'll have to make that, like, am I going to play enough games with the number of players who can play in that position? If it's just him and he's the to Anthony, and that's kind of understood, and you'll play, you'll start 15 games and you'll come on in another 20 or whatever, that might be enough for him. I I, I don't know. We'll see. A lot of, lot of big decisions to make for United in the transfer market in terms of, like, balancing the squad out and moving forward and probably very hard to do it right now because they they can't have any sense of what the summer budget is because Mm. it would be completely different if there's a takeover than now obviously from ffp standpoint they can kind of look at it and they know they're going to have to make some sales in order to to make some purchases they don't have to be one for one at all but they do have to consider just how much United have spent recently, and what that looks like, and they can't go do Chelsea and put people on eight-year contracts, since that loophole was only for Chelsea. And and so, yeah, definitely some decisions to make. And we like, there's there's nothing there's nothing has happened, like recently in the in the in the takeover to suggest that it's coming to a conclusion right now. I mean, it looks like, if you believe all the leaks, of which there are many, that the INEOS bid has gone to phase two, which is not a technical. Financial term, by the way, it's just something that just means they'll they'll have access to the data room and they're they're looking in more detail at United's financials, all the contracts and stuff like that. Which won't take that long. It's all negotiations, really. So the Qatari bid, the Ineos bid, the Elliot bid. Who Elliot, as we said, like a vulture capitalist P firm that will look for a very quick turnaround. It seems opportunistic from them. I, I don't mm. know whether they. We're having discussions with the Glazer family and have just basically offered all parties access to what would be very disruptive equity and or debt, some mixture of. So anyway, that, that, that is happening. Oh, and I don't know whether you saw the scammy crypto play. Yes. Wow. <laughs>
1: NFTs. Oh <laughs> my God. It's a like, fundraiser.
0: Chat GPT, write me some copy that is the most scammy possible. Like every crypto bro fucking cliche. You oh can my get god. it's just terrible
1: yeah it, it, it reminded me of that can you remember that crowdfunding thing a few years ago where it's bring ronaldo home right oh yes. my god it's exactly like it that. reminded yeah. me exactly of that with that horrendous yeah. trailer with that old man just yeah oh god yeah it makes me shudder
0: uh, anyway the guy the guy alessio uh, whatever he's called i can't remember his second name now I, anyway i looked him up does not have a CV that you would say was notable. Does, definitely doesn't have the bucks to, to do it. <laughs> and yeah, I, I didn't put his like details out on Twitter because I didn't want to accidentally dox the wrong person. I'm pretty sure I know who it is. He'd been in touch with some other fan groups, apparently. Not not me. I have to say, we're not important enough, Tom, for the scammers oh, to man. get in touch with us. Yeah.
1: Oh, game on. I would have wanted to get him on the show. Could, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Could have advertised his NFTs. Like, every single NFT play
0: in football has been scammy. The ones that were where they're really serious, where they've tried to take over clubs. Mm. Is it Maidstone? No, not Maidstone. I can't remember. There's one, one, one of the clubs that a crypto guy has fully taken over and had these big claims that he was going to fund growth through crypto and fans can buy the coins. And, then of course, you're looking at the small print. You can't sell them. Or they crash 95% and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, every single one of them. Even Even things like so rare or so rare and never know how to say that one and that one is i mean it's fantasy football league but in order to win you have to buy the really expensive cards there's not really much of a trading market for it either i I don't know it just feels i I do kind of think there will be a role for digital assets in the economy it's a different different part of the day job i'd look at some of that but but in football as a kind of expensive digital trading card slash a way uh, of milking fans don't like it at it's,
1: all no it's, it's it, it 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 really like targets the vulnerable people as well it, 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 like crypto does in general like especially with the pe- people doing the get rich quick schemes that there's such an insidious industry yeah. and it, it it's really quite upsetting i think like, like you see how many people like think they're on a on a way to a winner and i think this, this is a little bit different with with what, I guess the football clubs are trying to do, like, oh yeah, if you sign up to our crypto, then you can vote for the song that the players come out to or whatever. Like, I think eventus in Barcelona had that for a little bit with right. their with their coins, but the whole, the whole, yeah, industry is just incredible, and I can't well, believe you can
0: just do that with the standard membership, and you don't have to,
1: yeah, exactly. Vlog
0: it as a. I, the but thing you, is, you know, I what... if it looks like a security, it should be regulated like a security. Oh,
1: it's crazy that it's not regulated.
0: Yeah, well, the SEC recently fined Kraken, which is one of the big exchanges, for doing exactly this—for basically selling stuff as as securities. Well, it was—they fined them for how they how they do the staking. So basically, where you can you can put up money for the gas fee for the for the the crypto processing. I'm very simplifying this, so apologies. And and it looks like a cross between betting and shorting. <laughs> Basically, and yeah, and that kind of the risk there is really high and, and clearly that has to be regulated in the way that other financial securities are. I think if it was just so the way that United marketed their NFTs, which was basically buy these digital J, you know, digital trading cards and it's 30 quid or whatever, that's fine. People can decide whether they think that's, that's valuable or not. It's where you make the assumption or hint at or suggest that there's a secondary market for this yeah. and you could sell it. That's where it's really a problem, and that's exactly what this guy was basically suggesting. Not only a like, and, and even like classic, like everything of the structure, like even the tiering, where you can buy the top tier where you get a hundred times the votes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. don't don't like it at all.
1: That's horrible. So
0: anyway, I don't think it won't go anywhere. It hundred percent will not go anywhere. And but
1: yeah, but they've obviously somehow got enough publicity for it to become a thing which i, I... well they put a press release out but people and, have picked and... that up though like why yeah. Yeah. why
0: yes i know well this is where you get sports journalists covering financial matters
1: yeah just do a Sorry. bit of due diligence like obviously like the, the, there's people out there who are priv- like savvy enough i think if you see like an nft on someone's website if that's after they send out a press release like you may be just going google the guy a bit like you did like to just be like yeah is this legit or is this just a massive scam and well,
0: just and awesome people it's exactly like, it's really yeah. simple.
1: whereas if i send Sorry. out a press release like they they're responsible then for some unknowing man to go be like oh yeah this sounds great S- signs up for these nfts and just completely loses what 100 quid or whatever of his his money I, like the, i mean journalists you, have a absolutely. responsibility in this in this yeah. in my opinion
0: yeah, I mean losing 100 quid's one thing, right? The consumer protection issue. Losing thousands oh, yeah. because you see it as an investment that you could make a good return on, that that is life-changing for yeah. people. I, I know say. I know
1: so many people, well not so many people, but I know a handful of people who that's, is that so many not really. I know a handful of people who have lost a lot of money on NFTs because they've just been taken in by the yeah, by the 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 beast of the the marketing material that's out there and it's and yeah. it's it's really just quite sad and there's so many people out there who yeah who think that they're going to get rich quick or, or whatever just make a little bit of money a bit like gambling and they just get turned over because they don't know any better
0: yeah well uh, okay i'm thinking that might be it for the week <laughs> united frustrating draw coming up against Betis. i think it will be thrown be absolutely shocked if we're not Mm -hmm. and not much happening on the takeover except for scammers we'll we'll find out more i mean the due diligence part it will take a long time because it's more like contracts and negotiations and also the glazer boys working out exactly what route they have out or not there aren't many choices and they're all bad (laughs) i was thinking about this our options are the spawn of a fish canning shitty strip mall billionaire sort of billionaire right scumbag carpet baggers who've taken <laughs> over the club that's a, that's our one choice so the laser yeah. boys stay in place second choice is and this is even worse they stay in place but with with Vulture capital equity which do. has to get an exit at some point probably in flogging off parts of parts of united that haven't been flogged off right greenwashing uh, brexit with a with a quite well not only the kind of petrochemical pollution highest polluting uh, highest polluting plant in scotland apparently and and other places in INEOS. a a state with a horrendous human rights and labor record one to wash its reputation and buy soft power <laughs> like on a crypto bro <laughs> awesome <laughs> just awesome
1: I Wow, the crypto bro doesn't sound, like, sound so bad, to be fair, when you put him in <laughs> a best of lot. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: you see, that's it. Like, if everyone listening to this show now bought NQAT coin a uh, $100, just... we still wouldn't have enough to buy the club, but we'd be getting there.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's what you could do instead of the Patreon.
0: That's it, yeah. Well remembered. patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod for our backer show. We're doing backer show around about once every week
1: and merch as well are you going to put a new tier in for if you do like i don't know three pounds a month and you get yeah or you get an nft which you could sell on the market or they'll be worth loads on the secondary market as well in a few years
0: oh oh yeah absolutely yeah it's a huge opportunity huge
1: (laughs) not That's what we should clip for the for the twitter
0: that's it well i'll put this clip out we'll sell it on OpenSea. yeah good yeah good going. god almighty hate modern football so, Love United. <laughs> oh, and by the way, before we go, just a note: I, I didn't know him personally, but Ian Sterling, the, the supporters liaison officer, who worked with Must and uh, died this week. I think there's been a yeah you know, a tribute from all the people who, who did know him, saying what a nice guy he was. And I think I, I can I can at least reflect on the work you do with Must and how much effort has clearly had been put in into. To representing supporters and supporters' interests. So a note for Ian, I never met him, but loads of people I know, and I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. did meet him and have only positive things to say about him. So tragic, too early loss, but it's important for us to note his work, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Thanks, folks. We'll, we'll catch you next week. And uh, back of show is going to be on Gary Lineker. And I think we might keep that open for everyone else, actually, as well. Bye now. Okay, this is the backer's bit, as I noted on the main show. I think, I think we'll leave this one open for everyone just because it's a kind of interesting conversation and a fairly nuanced one, which is hard to have over social media. I don't know whether you've noticed any of the social media around Gary Lineker and what he said and what everyone else has said, but I, I think nuance is somewhat lost in 280 characters. Yeah, did you, I don't know if you saw
1: Barney Roney receiving a lot of flack this morning. No, what what did Roney say? So someone someone tweeted about how if if we refuse to talk about these kind of subjects then we're not doing a we're we're doing a disservice to the the victims of the holocaust a little bit similar to a lot of i think darren richmond tweeted a similar kind of thing that if we if we refuse to talk about this then it's actually we're doing yeah more of a disservice to to jewish people than people like swallop braverman's obviously come out and said it's offensive to jews what gary lineker said and then Barney Roney responded to a t- to that tweet, um, saying, "Why do we always compare it to to Hitler and and Nazi Germany? Why don't we compare it to to Stalin's labor camps or the gen- gen- genocide in Rwanda and stuff?" And then he got a lot right. he got a lot of flack for that. Like he, right. I think it was like the, the tone of his his argument was like, "Why? Why is that exciting?"
0: For a start, as noted, in some places who have call the heads, Lineker did not compare the the current immigration bill to the Holocaust or even to the Nazis very specifically. I think quite carefully in mm-hmm. retrospect, after a few days of thinking about this, he said it was reminiscent of the language used in Germany in the 1930s. Yeah, Reminiscent of the language used in Germany in the 1930s. And I was just, my initial reaction was, oh, this is a bit clumsy. And anytime you sort of bring "Quote unquote Nazis into this because he didn't say Nazis, but any time you bring Nazis or the Holocaust into this, you're kind of you're weakening your argument. You are cheapening. And I think this is why people feel offended. What actually happened in the Holocaust by comparing everything to that? And and no, I think there is a tendency, clearly a tendency, to rush to call everyone a Nazi, and and well, it should be thanks. reserved for the most serious things. Should clearly
1: Godwin's law, isn't it?
0: Yeah, right. And and it's interesting because the first I heard of Lineker, this Linica thing it was not actually on social media. It was a friend of mine, very, very, very good friend, known for a long time. And we have, over many a beer, solved the Middle East problem. <laughs> uh, and, and it was like different perspectives, but he sent it to me. And his reaction was he was deeply offended. Not going to name him because it's not fair, but he was deeply offended. And he thought Lineker should be fired, basically. And basically thought I'm really summarizing, so apologies, but summary was he basically thinks he's Corbyn Mark II. Right? And and I was like, I my initial reaction was I, I don't think that's right. I felt it was clumsy. I thought, yeah, you really shouldn't you shouldn't bring Nazis into this. You can make an argument against this immigration bill, which is, by the way, I'm quite I'm quite happy to say, one of the most disgusting pieces of legislation. Mm-hmm. i've ever seen in my lifetime and we can go into why i think that's true but oh it's always clumsy when you kind of compare everything to nazis but then you step back and go he didn't do that he was very specific in his language it was about it was about the the tone of the language not about the holocaust that came later and i think i think by making the reference to 1930s germany that's what Linke is trying to do same time i know people are offended i know there are some people who took offense and i I did my own canvassing and there was a split opinion as there is on any like Jewish people are not one homogenous lump are they yeah with one opinion so there yeah, it's it's complex and it's difficult my take is that I think Gary Linka was trying to be very specific and careful
1: in his language there yeah I think th- I think I think I think he is and I think by being careful as well, like my personal opinion, that is that he's completely right in what he says. That the, the language that has been used is is eerily reminiscent of of nineteen thirty six, nineteen thirty five kind of time in journey from the from the nuts from the Nationalist Socialist Party. I've seen clips go viral before this. Where I remember a Holocaust daughter of a Holocaust victim um, confronted Suella Braverman about this herself. I think it was like a was some public speaking event, and she said mm-hmm. using the wording that you use obviously is yeah eerily reminiscent. And it's it, he's not alone in this opinion. It's also it's also like it's not just the opinion. It's the it's the nuance around obviously the the fact that he's a freelancer. The fact that he's been saying. He's been criticising the government in so many different respects for so long, but they've just wanted to jump on him at this They've been waiting to find a moment where they can go yeah, this sure. is this is it, this is it, this is it, and they're just bang, 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 bang the drum yeah, they get the right wing media behind it they get the every politician goes for him, and then the b b c because they're spineless and they fall at the at the feet of every single. Thing almost everything that the to- if the Tories complain and they fall at their feet every single time, and they did it again and and for the first time, really, it's backfired for them because they've yeah like it's been so obvious. Like, I mean, this is a I, I guess like some people might say this is a leftist agenda that I'm spouting now, but it's it's not. It's so obvious the way that the BBC bow to Tory pressure. Like, you look at Laura Coonsberg's like whole relationship with Boris Johnson for her time when she uh-huh. was the political editor while he was prime minister is it's just sickening and the fact that it's only come to this point like and finally it's really weird that the it, the people actually at uh, the BBC actually standing up against this blatant well, politicization yeah, of, yeah. and, and, and yeah. weakness at the BBC is the sports media it's like I mean at least someone's got some backbone at that at the BBC like and I know for so many years the Tories have been trying to undermine the BBC and and the right wing media have been really trying to do it as well but they have a stranglehold over the BBC. You look at how the people in well, charge—it's it's, been completely politicized by the Johnson administration, exactly. So and, and chairman you, and director general, both both—it's yeah, crazy. The donors
0: and or former Tory politicians, so, and then you yeah. see like
1: Alan Sugar, the the words and the phrases that he uses, and he's on one of BBC's flagship shows. Oh, he's allowed to do whatever he wants, and then you see yeah. like it, it's th- th- there is. I, I find it staggering i find I, I, I find it just bamboozling that i don't find it bamboozling actually because it's just the way that the country is like the country it's not yeah, even surprising look, this has been, element, but it's this like this is love. not
0: this is not organic right there, there is a an agenda among some politicians to destroy the bbc as an independent organization some people on the right feel it's it, it was too leftist you can take that out right the kind of left and right politics of it anyway and just say it's about control of control of state media Mm -hmm. and that that gives you everything you need to know anyway without even getting into the left and right piece of it but and some people are just dogmatic and it's it's a kind of view that there shouldn't be state-funded media and it should be funded by advertising and that's what the johnson that the bill that went through parliament to say the bbc charter would end and and it would have to become ad funded right and funnily enough, the other, the rest of the, broad, the private enterprise broadcast media don't want that because BBC would end up competing for for ad pounds with them. So it's control of the media. It, it's two very political appointments in terms of the chairman and director general. I think we'll find that they got involved in this one and it wasn't just a case of neutral assessment of Garolinka's social media. I mean, not least because actually, and it's been kind of widely reported now, the the clause on so use of social media very specifically says if a presenter is, for example, in sports or arts or science and is commenting on politics, that's much lower risk. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, yes, because I don't think anyone would take a Geralynica tweet and go, "Oh, the BBC's position on neutrality has changed." Like, no, like he's not the political editor. So, I did, like just anyway. It's 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 insane. Just a, a, a completely flatly go, hey, he's broken the rules, therefore he should be punished. We know this is about politics. Mm -hmm. And we didn't talk about it, but I wanted to say, why is this one of the most disgusting pieces of legislation? Because it it creates a second class of citizen, right? It stops any route to legal asylum claims. Now, under international law, you can make the claim. Asylum is, you're not illegal if you're making an asylum claim, you're making an asylum claim. So what this bill does is remove the ability for any asylum claims to be made in Britain. But there's basically no processing outside of Britain, yeah. right? It's yeah, a you can I mean, even for Ukrainian refugees, they had to apply in Ukraine, and that can take a while while you're being bombed and hoping that you make it to get out of the country. Mm-hmm. So there almost no safe legal routes to a claim of asylum. There will be none in Britain. And so people who make it to Britain won't be able to make a claim. And, and the, the thing that went around, which was very badly worded, saying you will not have access to modern slavery... oh my god like like that's the perk of being an immigrant you yay i get to be in the modern slavery business no it's really weirdly it's basically saying we'll we will take nothing into account so if you come to the country we will not hear a claim and so this is why i'm saying there'll be a second class of citizens they'll be trapped they won't be able to stay and they won't be able to go they'll be and because it because in order to return someone to a third country you have to have a bilateral agreement so that's that's why it's disgusting The language is also disgusting, um, reminiscent of pasts in many different countries. But you're going to have a group of people potentially growing to tens, hundreds of thousands of people who have a completely stateless. And yeah, so it's just just shocking. These people have no access to any the only rights they will have. And this this is the other thing. Right. So you'll be detained indefinitely under this bill. And the only rights you'll have will be habeas corpus. But if you're not going to get a hearing for years, what's the point? You don't even get that, right, in effect. So that's why it's really disgusting. I don't know whether Lineker was reacting to the whole bill or just the language, but either way, someone's got to say something.
1: Mm-hmm. What distresses me really about the whole thing is, is, the, is the lack of compassion throughout the society because this bill isn't coming in because the leaders are vicious. It, I think it is partly because of that, but it's coming in because it's, it's going to be popular with the, with the voting populace. Because it is, you look to the YouGov survey. And I don't know. Obviously, we can take YouGov with a pinch of salt, seeing his as it's run by cronies. But it came back as sixty-five percent that people would be agreeing with with the bill. And and like I say, the, the the scary thing to me is the lack of compassion in in the British population, which I guess has just been. Manipulated by the right-wing press for years and years and years, othering people who aren't white British. Which and I guess in some parts of society, like that, has over over the last thirty years that the progress has been quite stark and and really impressive. But then, throughout that whole time, that the right-wing press have been at the at the throat of anyone and asylum seekers in in particular. It it is it is to me, it's just incredible that six years on from from Brexit and and all the the horrificness behind that campaign and Farage's banners and and I remember that specific one where he, he stood in front of all those people and and that was eerily reminiscent of Nazi propaganda and and yeah and people just lap it up. I I, I don't know if I, I can't almost put the blame on the people because I feel like propaganda and brainwashing really does really is obviously having having a hugely strong effect on has a strong effect and i guess if people don't know any better but it's the compassion and the heart that people just seem to have completely lost they don't understand that that these people are coming from the worst parts of the world like yeah syria afghanistan ukraine and Oh, Somalia wherever it be and I have right close to me there's there's two hotels that have asylum seekers and, and they're all male hotels and the the radio and the the, the spotted groups on Facebook and the, the the call the phone-ins are just full of people saying who are just angry and like apoplectic at the fact that these people are are, are there in in their village and their town because they're so scared they're so fearful of of these others because one they've not met them and they they don't realize that these people are just normal people just people
0: trying to survive trying
1: to survive who've been through unimaginable events that like people in this country like i say can't even imagine and the fact that they've been told over and over again that these people are coming to to take your jobs they're coming to rape your people They're coming to steal your houses, and there's all this bullshit that there's a higher crime rate in since these people have, since the asylum seekers. It's it's absolute, it's absolute nonsense. And I hear it on a daily basis. It's easy to debunk, but the emotion gets in the way of it. It's a completely emotional response, and the right wing media know what they're doing. They're just stoking this emotional response in people. And it has a huge, huge impact to the fact that this bill, like I say, isn't just loads of evil people at the top thinking oh yeah we just want to get them out they know there's evil behind it but they also know that this is going to work for the populace and i think over the next two years before the election the culture war in this country is just going to ramp up and up because the tories know that there's yes because there's not there's nothing nothing else else and you
0: see it some of it's organized and, and some of it's organic but i mean even yesterday i saw a piece going around on twitter with a a bill that purportedly was for a pensioner's gas bill for four hundred something pounds or something like that, right? And and in the tweet it said, and this is just an example. Look at this bill. How's a pensioner supposed to pay this? Meanwhile, we're housing asylum seekers and they get a nice warm house for free. Well, by the way, this 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 the piece of legislation that's going in will basically stop any routes to asylum. So, you know, hey, you'll get what you want, folks. So the, the people will have and and it stops any routes from even claiming that. Yeah. So there'll be no housing. There'll be no warm, comfy hotels. If that's people what people think asylum seekers get, which is, by the way, not true. Absolutely <laughs> not ridiculous. true. Shocking conditions. People are. Healthy. Oh, my yeah. God. And and and, and you know, so it's what I think will happen. And this is me. Eh? I'm, I'm not in politics or, or the asylum ecosystem. I talk I ramble on about football on the Internet. And I do something completely different as a day job. But, but I suspect, given the way this is structured, if it goes through, if it passes the test with the courts, which it might not do, right, it is that we'll get tens, hundreds of thousands of people in this kind of limbo. Detention centers will overflow and because there's not enough capacity. If it looks anything like the Australia system, we'll get people locked in that for years and years and years. Uh, and it's just cruelty on a kind of unimaginable scale. Mm-hmm. And by the way, to, to relate it back to football, often got pushed back when during the Qatar World Cup or the recent kind of bid from the Qataris for only talking about other countries' wrongs and ills. And here we are talking 15, 20 minutes nearly now talking about this country's wrongs and ills. Mm-hmm. And And so I think it's only fair to say this is something that Britain is doing. Which I think is disgusting, and uh, if the UK government tried to buy United, I'd be very angry about that. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's likely to happen, but just just so you know, we're
1: balanced with that conversation. It's it's yeah, it's, it's devastatingly depressing. Like just to think just to try and put your yourself in the in the the position of of an, an asylum seeker in this country, and the like like you say, living in these ho- hotels which people somehow think is like luxury with loads of people you don't know in a town you don't know surrounded by loads of white people who hate your guts and are sometimes protesting outside of your living quarters after everything you've been through and now you're stuck in this limbo you've got this potential legislation which means you're going to be fucked either way it's 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 heartbreaking I, i i don't know how anyone can actually look at it any any other way if, if they're trying to if they're using their heart I don't know how they can not see it as anything but heartbreaking to be honest I find it I find it just yeah terribly distressing to be honest and it it just it just speaks to the like the moral corruption of this country in general really like it's it's yeah. so morally corrupt and it has got a lot worse over the last 13 years since, since the Tory government took it taken over and for the next two years it's going to be it's going to get even more horrible because the only way, like I mm-hmm. say, the only way that the Tories win is is by in, igniting the culture war to unprecedented levels.
0: Yes, and Lineker has has been been a party in in that culture war because clearly that's what the past week has been about. Mm-hmm. Anyway, th- there's politics cast. We'll see how many people turned off the second half of that. Sorry if you don't like it, but these things are important. So, and we've always. Uh, 621 episodes now, and we've always touched on politics because football and politics are deeply intertwined, whether you like it or not. And if you didn't believe that, what happened over the past week was clearly, clearly a case of that being true. Look, one one thing just to close out, it's, it's funny how politicians keep trying to take on footballers, and especially the Labour have done it occasionally, but especially the Conservative government. And I think it's this kind of sneering, these are stupid Yeah working-class people, and they don't understand. And, and generally, as a as a group of people, footballers don't get involved in politics very much. I mean, they're happy to take their paycheck and keep out of it. Most of them would like want, want to stay away from controversy. In fact, they're taught that by the clubs. But there are a few very smart people, Marcus Rashford, Ian Wright, Gary linker maybe, who, who are happy to use their voice in their platform because it's important and for different issues this was one of them. It was a hard, it was a hard topic to confront over the past week. I I definitely had to take a little time to think about it before just reacting to canvas opinions and Try and understand the perspective of people who are offended by what Lineker said and why and the people who felt it was very important for someone to say something and the the reaction of, of BBC journalists. So, you know, I'm glad we had a few days to think about it before sort of voicing an opinion. I hope I hope that discussion has added something to it.